Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello, and welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom, and this is the show where we talk about all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And you guys, this is season six for us. It's kind of hard to believe. It really is. Because it it all started out with a hoodwink and a bamboozle. I, look what I tricked her into. Yes. I had no idea. No Still idea. riding that wave. Pray for us. Pray for us. Okay, so you ready for the big update? Well, I'm ready, then. You ready? I I am. So we kind of left everyone on a cliffhanger last season. We did. With with the book. We had no idea. We signed off at the end of October. We did our October series on human trafficking, Mm -hmm. which if you haven't watched yet, was awesome and amazing. We did a three-series, three-part series on human trafficking. But... um, when we last left that conversation, we were on pre-sale on Amazon. We were. We were. <laughs> but a lot has happened since then. Yes, a lot has happened. We actually um, left the publisher that we were with. I'm not sure which camera I'm supposed to be looking at. Yeah, guys, give me give me a chance. We're a little rusty. We are. Don't speak for yourself. Um, yes, but we that publisher and our relationship through a long story that I will not bore you with today did not work out. And so we ended up with the rights back to our book and through God's grace and provision and the aunties, Natasha and Elisa, we are now signing with Harvest House and we have signed with Harvest House. They sent us a lovely like, hey, you're in the family. Welcome package. And so we are very fancy mug. I was like, whoa. So we are now with Harvest House. And this does mean that our book will be pushed back from March, a March release or yeah, early March release. No, probably February. It was supposed to come out February 6th. That part to september so that is the shift for us we will be releasing september 17th and we'll let you know once it's like for pre-order again and if you placed an order through pre-order that has been canceled by amazon or whatever but we're not charged yes yeah you won't be charged so but you will have to place another pre-order once we get it back up there but uh, we're grateful to our friends at harvest house for that relationship and we're grateful Looking forward to seeing what the Lord does there. Yes, and you can help support our show by liking or sharing our show. Thanks yes. so much. Very good. All right. Okay, you ready to get into this? I am. It's a big guest. Yes, I am so excited to have her. I love her. I do. I really do. I, I she's your buddy. Yeah, I I really like you. Want to talk about somebody who is just like, hey, like I'm just gonna tell you what it is. Ooh, that's a blessing in my spirit. That is Katie Faust. Katie Faust is the founder. And I wonder if she goes by president, like CEO or like. Grand Poobah. You know, like mm, head beautiful in charge. I'm not sure. <laughs> but she is the founder and I will say president of Them Before Us, an organization that fights for the rights of children. And we love her mission. I just love her and her commitment to scripture and her commitment to just humans in general. And so I am super excited to have a conversation about her new book, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. 
Yes, I said that right. Just yep. making sure. And um, it's it's a book that we've selected for our, one of our winter book clubs. So we do want to encourage everyone to go sign up for a virtual book club. It's going to be led by Jen Beidel, who's uh, one of our moderators on the stream tonight. And so that's why we wanted to highlight this book for our season kickoff to encourage people to go sign up for a virtual book club. And um, you can do that. We have some other great selections for you there. Monique's going to be leading a group on called Reforming Crim Criminal Justice. And my daughter Emily is going to be leading a group, The Genesis of Gender, Abigail Favalli's book. Uh, which is she's an important rising voice in the conversation about gender theory. And then we have a special group for parents whose children have deconstructed away from the faith um, called From Heartbroken to Hopeful. So you can get all that information on our website, on our book club's page. So we're going to be highlighting tonight Katie's book, which is one of our book selections. Yes, and her and her writing partner, Stacey Manning, are as bold in this book and I'm here for it. Like yes. I'm I'm here for it. Hey, you know, before we get into it, yeah. um, Annette Sandrock is on the stream and she was on our very first um our very first show. That's when, right. I, when I came with like two braids in my hair and was, yeah, my pajamas. <laughs> Hi Annette. Sorry about that, friend. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. So spring Kind of the, the core of this book as we're bringing Katie on is really, I think, an important thing because a lot of people, their solution to what's happening in our blue states is, well, just leave, just move out, move away, get away, run away. And Katie is speaking in this book to those people who, for whatever reason, can't leave their blue state. You know, maybe they have an ailing family member they have to stay there and care for, maybe their particular job situation doesn't allow them to move out. But for whatever reason, some people just want to stay and stake their claim and be in a light in a dark place and see it as a mission field. Um, but Katie is specifically writing to those people who are in blue states or blue cities and are trying to give those parents practical strategies for those who choose to stay. So that is... Just a little bit of a thumbnail of the book, and then we're going to get into it. So. Yeah, I I have I have questions. I know you do. I do. <laughs> All right, let's bring on the one and only Katie Faust. Faust. Hey. Hi, um, yeah, great to see you, ladies. You know, I go by First Lady generally. I mean, yeah. that's how you can address me. Uh, you know, Chief Beauty Officer. I not yet, but I really <laughs> appreciate that. Um, I think CEO is more reserved for like the for-profit world. So my official title is president. So you got that right. But really, can we just talk about your book for a while? Because I got to read it ahead of time. Um, and I learned it. Okay, so not only did I learn so much. I mean, my work doesn't focus as much on like race and racial issues. I'm like, I know enough. I know enough about that. And then I read your book. And I was like, I know now you can't come against me. But uh, that's not a surprise for any of you guys that have followed the Center for Biblical Unity because they have all the facts biblically, historically, sociologically, anthropologically. I mean, they know the things. Here's what I loved about the book. It was written so well. I appreciate good writing. And there's good books out there that have good information, but fall a little short on the delivery and and 
you can hear the distinct voices like Monique's voice and Krista's voice that come out of it. But the whole thing is just, it's so polished and it's so excellent. So for me, I, it was a joy to read, like not just because I learned a lot from it, but it, it's a, it's a beautiful product. So anyway, I'm very excited. I'm glad you've got a publisher too bad for the previous one. Next one, you know, lucky you, because this is really going to be something not just that you're going to enjoy reading, but it is a resource that the world and the church desperately needs right now. Thank you. Wow, that's very That cool. is, yes. I'm like, yeah, you know, you smile so much and your cheeks hurt. Because <laughs> anyway, we're both first-time writers, and, yeah. and our previous publisher, to a lot of their credit, took a big risk with us and letting us do it as first-time writers. And just, there was a guy there who was with that publisher who really fought for us. And um, it's largely because of him that we had the opportunity to do it. So very grateful. Yes, yes. All right. So let's talk about your book. Let's talk about your new book, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. Um, What prompted you to write this book? And I'm just wondering if it has any tie in with your previous book, Them Before Us, or is this a completely separate project? Good questions. Why did we write the book? Because anywhere that Stacy and I went, whether it was like to the park for the play date um, here in Seattle or whether I was traveling, you know, and I was in Charlotte or I was, you know, on Eric Metaxas or wherever I was interviewing for my other work, which is children's rights advocacy. And then people would find out, wait a second, you're raising, wait a second, you live in Seattle? How do you live in Seattle and do the thing that you're doing? And wait a second, your husband's a pastor and you've got four kids and I'm sorry, you let them go to public school? How do you, I don't understand. You know, and they would say, how, how have you, and I'm saying, and I'll say, yes, 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 and yes. Um, and they're like, but how are your children not destroyed? And I'm like, because we are very intentional about training. So the book is really about if Stacy and I, with seven kids between us who have largely gone to public school, ranging from elementary school to college age kids, have been able to pass along our worldview successfully, despite the fact that we live in one of the most hostile cities. We have largely sent our kids to public school. They are surrounded by people who disagree with what we are trying to teach them. If we can do it in these kinds of conditions, you can do it. You can do it whether you're in a red state or a blue state, whether your kids are homeschool, public school, or private school, whether you are just starting now or getting a little bit late in the game, you know, talking about teenagers, whether your husband is a pastor or whether he works at a mechanic shop like Stacy's husband does. It doesn't matter the circumstances. You as the parent, if you begin when they are young, you train them in age appropriate ways and you understand that your children can be shapers of cultures, influencers of culture rather than influenced by culture, but it doesn't happen by accident. So what we did in this book is we took sort of the 10 big principles that have allowed us to inculcate our worldview, despite the fact that nothing around us is really reflecting except for our church and except for our family. No other institutions around us or sources of information around us are reflecting what we're teaching our kids. We've been able to inculcate our worldview in our kids despite a hostile culture and the truth is that not only can you do this, but you must do this. And honestly, sometimes even your church don't reflect what you want your kids to walk away with. Right. So yep, is this... Right. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, 
to bring the last first, the final chapter of our book is called Find Your People. I mean, the whole first nine chapters are what do you need to do as a parent? What do you need to do personally? How does this actual slow handoff of worldview work? What do you what do you want to target in elementary school and middle school and high school? What are the tactics that you want to use? I mean, like we really try to hit all these different practical advice, but then also sort of the meta narrative of everything you're trying to accomplish. But at the very end, we say, can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. And you might think that you're the only Christian or the only conservative in Austin or Chicago or New York, but you're not. You will find your people if you go to a church that stands on the word of God. Very likely the people that you're looking at in the pews around you are going to be able to work shoulder to shoulder to inculcate a worldview that is grounded in not just biblical, but economic, historical, and biological reality as well. And you are going to need those people at your side to do this successfully. So much of what we talk about here for parents is, you know, make sure that your children have friends who think like them. Make sure that, and I love how you bring this out in the book, is make sure that your kids are watching you have friendships that in case you don't have an answer for something, they might see you struggling with with a question and they can go to that friend too. Like mirror for your children what it is you want them to do. And I love the practicality of, um, like the the idea of laundry that you bring forward. Like first, you're going to let them see you do the laundry. And then you're going to let them help you with the laundry. And then they're going to do, you know, they're you're going to help them. And then they're going to be able to do it on their own. And using that kind of as a metaphor to be able to say, hey, this is how you actually, you know, pass down a worldview and hand that off to them too. I thought it was super helpful. Um, but I, were you going to say something? No, you're just skipping way ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just, I, I loved it. I'm sorry. I'm I know. Excited. I know you're excited. But, uh, yeah. I mean, don't, don't read on my parade. I, I work really well by jumping around. Don't <laughs> worry. When people send me things in advance, I'm like, oh no, I'll answer something too soon and I'm going to wreck everything. <laughs> Probably we got, we okay. Um, so who is the book for? Like, is it really just for parents in, you know, LA who are trying to raise their kids in a quote unquote woke city or... Can, you know, somebody in the most conservative area of Alabama, you know, raise their, use some of these principles too? Yeah. What this is, it's a parenting book. It is timeless parenting principles applied to our current psycho-cultural moment. And so we didn't invent a lot of these principles. Some of them we just sort of coined or recaptured or reframed for the insanity that's taking place around us. But really, it is just, you know, tried and true philosophies and principles that we are going to apply to our modern day moment. So it's helpful regardless of where you live. And here's the thing. I talk to a lot of parents and I travel around the country and all of those parents have the same questions, even if they've got a three-year-old or a 13-year-old, whether or not they are homeschooling or public schooling or private schooling, whether or not they have family that completely agrees with them or they're the only Christians in their, you know, extended family. They all have the same question, and that is, how can we keep the woke, progressive, destructive ideas from destroying our kids? Every parent I know is asking that question, because even if you're in a red state and you're homeschooling, your kids are talking with other kids or on social media or 
going to the robotics club where people are putting their pronouns on their name tag. And you have to offer an explanation for that. Not just an explanation. You have to get ahead of the game. It is not. You do not want your kid going to robotics club and for the first time ever being confronted with somebody that has her, they pronouns. You need to equip them whether or not you think that they are going to find this in school or whether or not you think they're never going to see it. They have to hear it from you first. You have to be purposeful about this because the culture is coming for your kids. And it doesn't matter if you live in Louisiana or if you live in Seattle, right? The woke culture is seeking to evangelize and disciple your children. So either you are going to do it first or you're going to hand them over to your children and the woke culture will find them too. I think that's a really important point because so many, as I stated earlier, people that I see on social media, their solution is, well, I'll just relocate. But that will only get you so, so far. And um, I think that your point in your major point in the book is you've got to get a game plan. You've got to have a strategy for how you're going to disciple your kids. And that is going to be true no matter where you live. You've got to get some kind of a game plan together. So maybe just talk to us about the big picture strategy for parents. I think you're kind of already touching on it a little bit there, but but just kind of take us a little bit deeper into the big picture of, of parents being the program. I, I like how you put that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... You know, and and just to circle back slightly, you know, you asked who the book is for. Um, We debated about whether or not to title it Raising Christian Kids in a Woke City or Raising Sane Kids in a Woke City or Raising Healthy Kids in a Woke City. And we went with Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City for a very specific reason. And that is because it is not enough to to just teach your kids what to be against. We're not just against the woke or against progressivism or against the left. You have to teach your kids what they are for. And what they need to be for are not necessarily new ideas. We are going to teach them to be for the best ideas that have manifested themselves through history, economics, and biology. We are going to teach them to conserve so many of the critical ideas that are going to, that have led to this prosperity and flourishing and freedom and religious liberty, right, that we've been able to enjoy. So in the first chapter, we isolate what are some of the core issues that you need to really be purposeful about conserving, teaching your kids to conserve. And we feel like this is helpful, not just for your run-of-the-mill conservative, but for the Christians as well, who, even if they are reading incredible resources like Mama Bear Apologetics or listening to Breakpoint Podcast or following your YouTube channel. You know, you guys get a shout out in our book, FYI. Yes. Um, like even if they are kind of tuning in to all of the apologetics um, and, and biblical worldview issues, what we wanted to do is we wanted to say, here are the conservative principles that are specifically under attack. And we're going to train you to hone in on reinforcing those conservative principles, the good, true, and beautiful from the economic, the biological, and the historical realities. We're going to tell you, here's what you need to focus on when they are zero to 10, when they're middle school years, and then what you need to do in high school. So it's a whole framework, right? But what do you do? Like, how do you do this? Because most people come to us and say, I need a book, or I want to send them to a camp, or give me a curriculum. And the answer is, like, there's really good resources out there. 
we list probably close to a hundred different like podcasts or books or recommendations in our book. But the truth is you can't just hand them a book. I mean, you can't send them to Impact 360, which you love, I love, we recommend. We send our kids to Worldview Academy every year. I know Summit Ministries is amazing. That's awesome for a week or two. You have to Worldview camp them the other 51 weeks. So we really emphasize how parents, you cannot outsource this. You'll read great books. You're going to listen to great podcasts. You're going to watch great YouTube shows with them. You cannot outsource this. There is no program that you can hand them off to and say, ding, they're going to be, you know, look at the world rightly and they're going to retain their Christian faith. No, you are the program. And that is both terrifying and comforting. Terrifying because I think a lot of parents feel like I'm not equipped. I don't know what to do. Comforting because if you can do this, honestly, the world can't stand against you or against your kids. So the message of the book is gird up your loins and get very, very serious about worldview training. And we will give you the tips that have helped us to do it well in one of the most hostile places in the country. I, you spend a lot of time in one of the early early chapters, in fact, it could be chapter one, talking about the word conservative and what that means and the major areas that you're wanting to conserve. And I think it, there is a bit of confusion right now as the Republican Party is sort of evolving into, in, in my candid opinion, uh, where Democrats were 15 or 20 years ago. Um, there, there is a evolution, I think, that's happening there in the Republican Party. But the more broad idea of what it means to be a conservative, which is what I've always called myself as a conservative rather than going by a party affiliation first, is what are those values that we are trying to conserve? I think that's a very important point. Maybe you could just briefly kind of outline those big picture principles of what is it that you mean by conservative? I think that in every era of history, um, there are going to be different aspects, different principles, especially from a biblical messaging standpoint, that are distinctly under attack, that are distinctly under threat. And so, um, you know, we've identified the ones that we think are the most at risk of being co-opted, overhauled and destroyed in the minds of your child through um, whether it is their school curriculum, whether it's just imbibing TikTok videos or whether it is like the peer pressure of their friend group or maybe it is at their very own church that is not offering clear teaching. So we've identified the main things that you as a parent need to drill down in your children to help them conserve. So they are the nature of male and female, right? And then we give sort of tips on how to reinforce that and validate it and point it out in all different of all of the three different phases of learning, elementary school, middle school, and high school. Um, the nature of marriage, right? Once you understand the nature of male and female, you will properly be able to address what is marriage? What is it for? And that is a critical issue to get right with your kids before the world can get to them. You also need to talk about religious liberty and freedom of conscience. Like that, that underpins it all. And I don't think a lot of Christians would go into the parenting gig going, I need to talk about, you know, freedom of conscience, but it is very important if we are going to be able to engage well with the culture and understand the fundamental principles of liberty that this country was founded on. Um, 
right to life. You know, that's another big one that I think a lot is on a lot of our radars. And um, it is something that we need to inculcate in our children early and often. Um, economics. I don't think a lot of us went into the parenting gig going, I need to be able to talk to my kid about the morality of the free market. But you do. But you do. It is a vital topic. <laughs> it's yeah. really, really important. Yeah. Okay, so you would need to know a little something about um about socialism and market economies yeah. uh, and so that you can kind of point out the differences and how they make themselves manifest in your child's life because the socialists are after your kids. And this is not just an economic issue. This is a whole life issue, right? You control somebody's, you, you control the economy, you control the, the pocketbook, you control the society. Um, oh, I skipped a page. Oh, oh the parent-child relationship. So like parental rights, I think a lot of us have our, our, you know, whoa, what's going on? Like you're trying to co-opt my kid. So that actually is a, a premise that is drastically under attack right now. And so you do need to teach your children from a very early age. What's special about mom and dad? What's special about this relationship that we have? What's distinct about it? Um, and then you need to talk about race. You know, like you have to be the one that talks to your child about race and where does it fit into the question of what does it mean to be human and who am I and my identity? Um, you need to be able to talk with them about, in our country, you know, the founding principles, specifically individual rights versus group identity. So all of these things, you know, for your biblical, you know, worldview savvy audience, you are going to you are aware of the biblical perspective and all of these different conservative issues fold very well into a biblical worldview. So none of this is going to counteract. None of it is going to co-opt what you're already teaching your kids. What we're really doing is we're saying, here's the distinct aspects of the biblical worldview that are under attack right now. And here's some age appropriate ways to reinforce them so the culture cannot capture your kids when you're not watching. And I think, you know, to add to the audience question about the book, you know, it's I think you're trying to go for Christians, but also a wider audience. And so that's another use of the warrant for the use of the word conservative in the titling and in your strategies. And so this is a book that somebody could give friends or family members who may be sort of Christian adjacent or Christian sympathetic, but we're not really sure if they're technically Christians, but they do have conservative values and they are disturbed by yeah. what they see happening in the culture. And so this is a book that could be given to those people as well. Exactly. So we, when we decided not to name it Raising Christian Kids, it's because we actually feel like there's some awesome resources for Christian parents right now. Like the discipleship books are coming fast and furious and they're awesome. Like uh, the stuff that Christians are putting out right now is great. You know, the don't follow your heart and, um, you know, the another gospel. I mean, like there's just Christians are cranking out amazing content right now. I don't know how much of that is reaching just the freaked out mom that is outside of San Francisco who is not going to go to church and who has never heard of the Center for Biblical Unity. I mean, well when i'm done with her but like it's really there is a panic among parents right now and we really wanted to cast the net wide but you will see 
But there's an awful lot of biblical references and mm-hmm. encouragement throughout the book to say, hey, FYI, if you have not considered God recently, mm-hmm. get on that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not here by accident and your kids are not here by accident. There is a God who decided that you would live in this country at this time raising these children and you he has determined that you and they can be overcomers. So we are not shy about where we are okay. coming from, but we also are not um, making a case just for Christian parents. Yeah. Okay. With that, we're going to take a quick time out for one minute to for our friends at Maven to talk to you about an exciting program that they're doing uh, for young people to help them get engaged more in sharing their faith. Here it is. Maven's immersive experiences are life-changing for students. And no, that is not an overstatement. I have seen it happen time and time again. Students go on these worldview and apologetic mission trips for a week and they come back transformed. And that is why we are opening up the immersive experience to students across the United States in 2024 with our very first open enrollment trip. On July 14th through 20th, you can send your student to Salt Lake City, Utah, and they will be trained and equipped and led through a life-changing immersive experience. Go to maventruth.com and look for the immersive experience open enrollment trip information there. It's time to prepare. Let's get ready for the journey ahead. Life doesn't give us a redo. We don't get to run it back. Along the way, we'll face obstacles and challenges, but we are carrying light into the dark places. Our paths and our destinations are different, but our beginning is the same. We must prepare. This is why Impact 360 Institute exists. Get ready to grow, to stand firm, to be who God created you to be, to lead with courage, truth, and love. This experience will transform your life. Be challenged to grow your faith. Learn how to think, not what to think. Build community with those seeking to live like Jesus. Establish spiritual rhythms, discover how to be, and make disciples. And put your faith into action. As you prepare for the journey ahead, Deepen your understanding of what God has revealed about reality and why Christianity is true. Discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling in authentic community. Cultivate a servant's heart and live a life of spirit-empowered kingdom influence. All right. Make sure to check out Maven as an immersive experience for your child. Um, They go to Utah and first of all, they train them in worldview and then they go and they actually walk out the realities of their training in Utah amongst Mormons. And Impact 360 is an awesome worldview opportunity or worldview training opportunity for your young person. They do one week, two week and a nine month gap year program. And like Katie said, you know, these aren't substitutes for discipling your own kid. They're they're tools to help come alongside you mm-hmm. um, as you're doing that process. So we're thankful to be able to promote so many. I love how you said that, Katie, of, of just how much good content Christians are pumping out right now to help parents and support them in their discipleship. 
it, it, there really is a lot and um, parents should not feel alone in that. So, so I have a question yeah. and I'm going to start out with, um, we're actually go through a couple of questions, but Tanya on Facebook asks, have you encountered black parents that don't believe woke impacts them? I have not off the top of my head. Uh, that's a good question. Have I encountered black parents who don't think that woke has impacted them? Mm -hmm. Or that it, yeah, that it has any impact on them. Are you saying that they feel like the woke narrative is false and they reject it? Is that what you're saying? I wouldn't know because she wrote it. So Tanya, um, are you saying that that black parents don't see the woke um, narrative having any impact on them at all? I think that's what she's asking. Yeah. So not not yeah. in real life. I would say not in real life. Oh my. But I follow some incredible black fathers on Twitter and I just want to sit back and snap. Uh, I mean, because I'm like, oh, slay. Oh, someone got destroyed. I mean, like <laughs> some of these black men, you know, who are virtuously raising their family, absolutely rejecting a lot of the victim narrative, victim uh, narrative, the recasting of U.S. founding principles, you know, distorting American history, you know, that are trying to woo not just the black population, but the black church specifically into compromising their socially conservative positions in the name of a new alliance with, you know, some, you know, group of dispossessed voting block. I mean, they, uh, they're savage. And I'm like, oh, oh baby. So in, in personal life, um, I don't know if I've had those conversations. Uh, a lot of times in Seattle, we don't actually talk about those kinds of things. We kind of, it's very much a situation where, you know, the early Christians would kind of like draw a little arc in the sand casually, like, oh, did you see that? Um, and then you see if the other person draws the arc so that you're both like, oh, we're Christians. That happens in Seattle, too, where we'll be like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I am. Church. Church. You know, you kind of feel people out and it's like, oh, my gosh, no way. I go to church, too. But sometimes they'll be like, oh, really? Yeah, I just have to sleep in on Sunday. You're like, oh, OK, well, you know, or, well, you know, um, what did, did you watch the debates the other night? And you're like, uh, yes, I, I saw that there was a debate. Did you see it? What did you think? Right? Like everybody's trying to feel each other out. So we don't necessarily have these super direct, uh, inquiries of people that we may not know super well. So I haven't directly had those conversations in person, but I follow some, some, some pretty like bomb throwing men who are not having any of it so tanya clarified a little bit she said yes and no it's more about um but like have you encountered people who believe that some of the woke narrative has actually been official so in in reading the book raising conservative kids in a woke city it's kind of like well why would i want to you know change when the woke conversation is so helpful i think um like, personally, I could answer that and say, you know, there there are people that I think as we travel, one, 
woke can be defined very differently depending on where you are, depending on what use of the term you're using. Are you going all the way back to the early definition of the word woke where it was more of, you know, being aware of racial injustice, being aware of someone who could possibly lynch you because of the color of your skin. So stay woke. Or are we talking more about today's definition of woke and all of the implications surrounding that where many people still have this, um, kind of range of ideas all the way from, hey, just be aware that, you know, some cops treat, you know, people poorly all the way to believing in this more socialist oppressed oppressor narrative and everything along that spectrum. And so in in wondering, um, do do we encounter or have you encountered some black people who think that the woke the woke narrative is beneficial? I Personally, I would say, yes, I have. I, I don't know if you have encountered anybody Black who thinks that the woke narrative is beneficial. Would you say yes? I would say that's probably <sighs> the predominant view in Seattle of, mm-hmm. you know, parents in general, uh, if parents of all stripes. And the way that we define woke, um, because, you know, everyone, like you said, there's a bazillion definitions. I mean, like, we've got a quote of, like, Elon Musk of, like, what he thinks woke is in the book. But the way that it looks the most simply to us, what is woke? It is primarily identifying everybody by their group identity and then pitting them against one another and then using every cultural lever to put them at war with one another. Like to me, that's what it looks like, you know, and you see the the group identity elevated to the primary marker of like who you are. And then obviously, like you said, where do you fit on the oppressor, oppressed, victim, victimizer scale? And then all and then seeing that manifest in the Netflix series that you're watching or the national public radio spot that you just listened to, right, or coming out in the Captain America movie or whatever it is. And so like that to us is what woke is defining people primarily by their group identity and then using all the cultural weapons to pit them against one another. So I don't know if the minority parents I don't know about black parents, but I am definitely friends with some uh wickedly smart conservative Hispanic parents that want none of it. But a lot of their family members are in deep and really do believe that they should be primarily identified by their group identity and that it does orient them towards the other groups based on their place in the hierarchy. So I think that we've got it all here. I unsurprisingly, you know, are surrounded by people that largely reject it. Yeah, what what you're talking about largely would be intersectionality mm-hmm. and and how all of who you are and this group identity or your intersections, where you fit in your social location plays in. And then, unfortunately, that is generally used to pit each other against pit people against each other or groups against each other based on privilege or um, power dynamics and all of that type of thing. But yes, I I, I hear you. And Tanya, I hope. I under I, I explained or that we got to the bottom of your question. Here's another question. Before we go to that, I want to ask this question to lay groundwork for that question. Um, talk to us. Oh, I think one of the important principles in your book is about getting to your kids first. That there is this idea of strategic. I'm going to call it strategic exposure to toxic ideas that you want to engage in and you give strategies elementary school middle school high school of 
how to kind of loosely based on the stages of the classical um, education model of different developmental stages and how you teach children. I think what's, uh, I would like to have you, I want to dig down a little bit in that because that strategy of kind of, for lack of a better term, you're, you are wanting to expose children ahead of time before they encounter the toxic idea in real life. You mentioned earlier, like you don't want the first time your kid is put on the spot about pronouns to be when they're in their robotics club and they get put on the spot about pronouns. You kind of want to have that conversation preemptively. And so it requires the parent a little bit to look down the cultural funnel and see like, hey, what are the topics that my child is likely to encounter? What are the lies and toxic ideas that are going to, they're going to encounter at some point? And how can I prevent preemptively have those conversations? Because your theory is whoever gets to them first does the first impression of shaping their ideas. And I guess what I was left wondering after I read that, you know, those ideas in your book is, how do you balance the protection of a child's innocence with their exposure to dangerous ideas? Walk me through that a little bit. Yeah, well, you got it exactly right. You've captured this principle very, very well. And um, Hillary, who wrote Mama Bear Apologetics, she actually has coined the, I think she coined this as the founder's principle. And it is, whoever gets to a kid first, they will automatically consider the expert. So when, if the first time your kid ever hears about porn is when someone puts a phone in their face and they're like, look at this, right? Your kid, three weeks later, when they're like, oh my gosh, what was that? They will go ask the person that introduced them to it. They will go and ask that fourth grader who put the phone in their face, right? So it is very important that you get to your kids first about all these different distorted ideas that are out there. Now, that does mean that we are going to talk to our kids about things that parents should not have to talk to their eight-year-old about or their 10-year-old or their 12-year-old about. But if you don't, you are going to reject the right of first refusal that comes with introducing these challenging topics. Now, here's the incredible thing. You're the parent. You know your kid. And you, unlike the world, because the world wants to get to your kids first, right? That is the whole that was the whole freak out around the supposed don't say gay bill in Florida last year, which wasn't a dose. It was a don't talk to our kids about sex and gender when they are 10 or younger. That's really what that bill was. But there was an absolute freak out among the progressive left because they understand the importance of getting to kids first. They know the founder's principle better than anyone else. And so you have to introduce these concepts to your child in ways that are age appropriate but you do need to introduce them. So I'm not saying, hey, right now we're going to take a look and we're going to Google, you know, sadomasochism and porn. Um, and I'm going to show you all the worst of the things that are out there. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is your kid better know that you know the word trans, the word porn, the word gay, you know, that you know um, gender queer, you know, that you're, that you're familiar with a lot of the things that the culture is going to be telling them about. 
Um, and you can do that in ways that don't violate their innocence. Hey, honey, there's a lot of screens in your life. Sometimes you might see something of like people that are naked or people that are having sex, and that's called porn. And it's really yucky. And if you ever see that, you just shut the computer and you come let me know. That's what we're talking about. Or, hey, honey, you know that mommies and daddies make babies and that is why only a man and woman can get married. But there's some people that think that two men or two women can get married. And there's a lot of people that believe those ideas. And if you ever hear that, you can come talk to me about it. That's what we're talking about when we're saying getting to your kids first. So, you know, we share a story in our book of my youngest kid who was a third grader, so 10 and no, maybe nine. Um, and his teacher, no, he was like, yeah, I was like eight. Okay. So really, really young. And his teacher said, boys can wear dresses. And he came home and he said, mom, my teacher said boys can wear dresses. And I said, okay, what do you think about that? And he, just, he, he was like, and he goes, a boy can wear a dress, but that doesn't make him a girl. And I said, that's exactly right. Why not? And he was like, he would have to change every cell in his body. And I'm like, that's exactly right. So I had gotten to him first. His, his father and I had gotten to him first about the differences between male and female. He knew that we knew the word trans. He knew that when his teacher was talking about how a boy could wear a dress if he's transgender, he doesn't need to talk to his teacher about that. Something in his brain goes, my mom knows about that. I've heard her listen to podcasts about it. I've heard her have conversations with my siblings about it. One time she told me that if I ever read a book in school about a boy who can become a girl, that's called trans and I can ask her questions about it. That's what we're talking about. Getting to your kids first, introducing these ideas. It does not mean violating their innocence by getting extremely graphic or detailed. It does mean they better know that you know what is what is out in the world so that they can come to you when it when it comes to them. That's super helpful and, and clarifying. I think that'll, and, and I appreciate all you those examples. I think another thing that we, um, well, first of all, let me go to. Let me go to Gary's question. Do you want to go to Gary's question? Because yeah, it kind of ties in exactly with her answer here. Okay. So Gary says, pastor in New York state here, how do Christians who work in the public school navigate being required by state law to sin, i.e. to lie to children and at times to parents to keep their jobs? Sorry. Um, does the book guide parents on how to teach their children in K to third how to handle the grown-ups leading their classes and librarians teaching and handing them woke material, including porn? I think of the quote attributed to Corey Tinboom that speaks to the idea that children should not be required to carry weight they were never meant to bear. Great questions. So first of all, what do you let's do this in two steps. What do you do as a public school teacher who is forced to lie, forced to hide a child's transgender identity from their parents? You need th you need a theology of getting fired. That's what you need to do. Yes. You quit your, yeah. Do you understand why I love her now? Like, do you like, can you see? I know. Yeah. But I, I think that you, you're very right about that. And also want to encourage people to reach out to our friends at um, what's Dave Schmoose's 
organization. Not ACSI. It's um, ChristianEducators.org. I think yes. we had him on a while ago. And they're, they're all about advocacy for Christians who work in public education. And they will help you with your state policy on pronouns and all of that. And but you do need to get a theology of being fired. Yes. Continue. Yes. Yeah. You need to figure out what will your God allow you to do and what do you need to get fired over? So personally, you know, we talk about this in the book. We're in Seattle. Our kids go to public school. We're in the world. They've got secular friends. They've got unbelieving teachers. We got to walk a lot of very, very fine lines. But we know we're over the line when we're lying. That is one of the big no-go zones for us. And we talk about that in the ninth chapter of our book. When you are coaching, especially high schoolers, to figure out how do I complete this assignment you know, with my integrity or how do I navigate this conversation without unnecessarily alienating? We say, wherever you find yourselves, sometimes you can't say anything. Sometimes you have to be quiet. Sometimes you'll be able to fit your answer into something that will work for them. But we don't lie. We never lie. Lying always crosses the line. So if your vocation is forcing you to lie, especially to kids, you need to stand up and then you need to step out. Those are probably your two options. So then what do you do about, let's go point number two of that question. What about teachers, librarians that are handing your elementary school children ideas that wreck their worldview? So one of the things that we do in the book is we say, there's three different sort of phases that, you know, like you were saying, Krista, kind of falls along the same line of the classical educators model of proper child development and what kind of things you should be exposing them to and how you should um, align your education to their natural um, brain development. So the first phase of that is the grammar phase. And that's what we, you know, that's when we say, oh, kids are little sponges. That lasts until they're about 10 or 11 years old, where they just unquestioningly accept everything. This is why they can memorize 20 Awana verses, you know, in one night, because they are wired to just memorize and bring things in without being critically, critically thinking about it. OK, so in that phase, you have got to filter out as much as possible. You filter out damaging and distorted ideologies. You filter out the wolf. You filter out the gender ideology. You filter out the distorted history, right? You filter out the socialism that's creeping in in the name of whatever, you know, sharing or globalism or whatever it is, okay? So you can't filter everything out. But in if the adults in their world, whether it is an extended family member or a teacher or something like that, if they will not respect your boundaries and you say, look, we disagree about defunding the police or whether or not we want to exalt Sheikh Guevara in our house. Like, we disagree. We don't have to agree. But don't talk to my child about this. Later on in life, when they're older, I'll let you have a conversation with them. But right now, those are the kind of conversations that their father and I are going to deal with, okay? So as much as possible, you need to filter that out. And if there is an adult in their life who refuses to abide by those boundaries, you filter out that adult. You find a new teacher, you remove them from school, you exempt them from library. Do what you can, right? If you have got an aggressive adult that is evangelizing and discipling your children into a woke worldview that will not respect your boundaries, you cut them off. And, and I know that sounds harsh, but we're actually talking about this critical window of worldview shaping that takes place and it doesn't last forever. So I would say, you know, if, if that's what's happening in your public school, you, be you better be dialed in. And you better take action. 
we have actually found that a lot of the teachers do respond when we say, hey, you just gave a lecture on, you know, the history of Christianity over the last couple hundred years, and you actually got missionaries totally wrong. Would you be willing to let us kind of share a little bit about the history of missions and recognize the places where they got it wrong, but also the incredible good that they did in so many different places and that mission work was not necessarily colonization. I mean, like we've had those conversations with teachers. My husband just wrote a letter to one of our kids' schools that had them read a high schooler that had them read a book that was pornographic. And my kid told us about it in advance, high schooler. And we're like, what do you want us to do? Do you want to deal with that? Do you want us to deal with that? How can we help you? And he goes, I'll deal with it. I think I know how to deal with it. But my husband also wrote a letter to the principal and they won't be using that book next year. So like we actually have found that there is quite a bit of responsiveness, but if they don't respond, especially in the elementary school years, you not only filter out the worldview, you filter out the adult that's seeking to upend their worldview. That's really good. And, um, I have so many thoughts. Um, I did a podcast, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago now with Brad Dacus, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, and it's on my Theology Mom channel. It's called Parental Rights in Public or in Public Schools or something to that effect. Our moderators can put a link to it in the chat. But at the end of that, I did a monologue on the importance of Christians engaging and staying engaged in their public school context and doing the kinds of things that you're mentioning here. And I have a friend in the Portland area who was invited, the school invited all the parents to come and give feedback about curriculum and policies and all this stuff. Four parents showed up. Four and two of them were my friend and her husband. And she said, this was such an opportunity lost by other Christian parents to come and provide school administrators with direct feedback about books, policies, the library, all this, all of these kinds of related issues. And I think that that's one of the, what people might see is one of the more controversial parts of your book is that you are not in this book there to completely demonize the public education system. You're, you're very willing to say, look, I've got woke Wendy teaching my third grader. I'm not in denial about woke Wendy, but here's my strategy for how I'm going to deal with woke Wendy. Whereas many Christians have opted to flee that altogether. And I think that your public school stance is going to rub some people the wrong way. Oh, trust me. Uh, we've lost endorsements of the book because we have said, we're not going to take a hard stance on this. We actually think that you know your kids and you know what you're, what is available to you. Like we wanted to have our kids in private school all through elementary school. And then the one little place that we could afford closed and we... Look, there were a family of six on a pastor's income in Seattle, and we could not afford a private school. And I did try homeschool for a little bit, and my kids said, please don't ever do that again. And I'm like, okay. And here's the other thing, like, public school doesn't scare us. I mean, it's too bad that they do end up walking through a lot of muck and mire, but it doesn't scare us. You don't get our kids. 
Like our kids are very sweet, especially my daughters. Very, very sweet. But if you come at any of them with a lie, or if you try to make them bend or compromise, they'll cut you. Like they will not take it. So it's rough. Like this is a rough place to raise kids. But I will tell you this. They are refined and they are fortified. And every single one of them knows exactly what to believe. They've had lots of practice figuring out what to say and how to say it. Um, they have won their friends over in some cases. And in many of them, they are the only beacon of truth that is shining around the people that are near them. And they get to see God using them in the life of their friends. Now, I just want to say, like, we, we're not sending our kids to public school to be missionaries, mm -hmm. right? I'm not, we're not doing it like that. We're just saying we've got to educate our kids. We've looked at a lot of the options. Um, for a long time, private school just was not available to us. Homeschool didn't work out that well. My kids like going to high school. Like, they like doing the sports and being with the friends and um, having a big, you know, all the camaraderie and the assemblies. They like it. And I'm like, okay, well, if they like it and... We give our kids a lot of freedom to choose their own life, how they spend their time, their money, you know, and you'll read about that in, you'll read about that in the high school chapter. Um, if our kids govern themselves well, if they are brutally honest with us about everything going on, if their choices are legal and moral, we lean out, they run their own life. And it has led to not just incredible sweetness in our parent-child relationship, but we vowed, you know, we were in youth ministry for 10 years before we had kids. And we vowed because we saw the oversheltering and the impact of oversheltering. And then we saw the absolute hands off and just handing your kid over without any training. And we saw how devastating both of those extremes were. We vowed that we would shepherd our kids through everything the world threw at them while they were under our roof, before they turned 18. And I actually just saw Nancy Piercy share this quote about what kind of kids abandon their faith. What is the number one reason why when kids graduate high school, they graduate from God. And she said, it was when in high school, they had no opportunity to wrestle. It is in high school where if you don't get honest answers to honest questions, if you don't actually have to figure out, is this mine? Do I believe this? Can I own it? Those are the kids that are in serious jeopardy when they go off to college. And even though this is a rough culture to raise kids in, it actually in some ways serves as a foil for the Christian worldview. If the children, if your kids are looking at what the woke world has to offer them, the goodness, the truth, and the beauty of the Christian worldview is going to shine even brighter. So the message of the book is your kids don't have to be victims. Regardless of where you live, no matter how you're, you're schooling them, you, you can do this. And by the way, Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. We have been raising kids that resist the culture, you know, ever since ever since the first century. So this is nothing new. You can do this. You just need to be very, very deliberate and personal and work with this in age-appropriate ways. I think that what people have to be very, very aware of in what you're saying is that you are being very intentional in the discipleship component. It's not, what you're not saying is, send them to public school and let them make their own decisions. What you are saying is you send your kids to public school and you are 
actively out in front of educating yourself about social trends and and discipling them and having that conversation. Because what I see so often is Christian parents who send their kids to public school and then they just say, well, they'll figure out their faith for themselves. They have to make their own decision. And they have done very little what you call training in teaching them worldview issues. They just kind of take a posture of, well, you know, the child accepted Jesus into their heart when they were eight years old, and now they're just sort of out there and they have got to make their own decisions. That's not what you're talking about. Yeah. And I want to make sure that people don't hear it through that lens. That's a great clarifier. Um, people will ask my co-author, Stacy. they'll say, why don't you homeschool? And she goes, I do. I do. We school them all the time. We outsource some of the schooling to some public school teachers, but we are schooling them. We are training them. We are giving them our worldview. So what would you say? And I think Kristen, and I hear this a lot of, you know, actually, let me give a little groundwork. You're you're talking about parents needing to be aware of the the current cultural issues that are happening in our nation, in our world, in their, you know, community and things like that. They actually have to understand what's happening and and be, you know, somewhat knowledgeable. They don't have to be experts, but they need to have some kind of, you know, conversational level understanding of what's going on to be able to then give their kids even a nugget size of what's appropriate to be able to to understand their worlds and their third grade classroom and what things they should come back and, you know, have better conversations about and things like that. And that's really a description of about 50% of our ministry. Yeah. That's why we do podcasts is, you know, trying to help people be out in front. But we also hear the, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Like I go to work, I have to cook dinner i'm a wife like like or, or i'm a see, husband and it, it's emotionally taxing yeah. i hear so many parents say i just i just want it to be so simple i'd rather just shelter my child i don't want to have these conversations parenting has become exhausting you want me to do all this training i would rather just move we get this all the time i would rather just move to a rural area and unhook myself but in some of the most rural areas we've been to, these these issues are there as well. So if you could sit down for coffee, you know, with that person, with the person who is the, you know, the parent, mom or dad, who is just like, you know what? I just don't want to deal with, like, I don't have time to sit here and learn the tenets of critical theory or understand exactly what gender studies is or critical religion theory. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Yeah. What do you want for your kid? is the question. You know, this is just a matter of what matters to you. I mean, are you going to, somebody's going to disciple your child, I guess. you. It's not that they're not going to be discipled. They'll be discipled. Who's going to do it? Is yeah. it going to be you? Is it going to be YouTube? Is it going to be the seventh grade teacher? Is it going to be the librarian? You know, who is going to disciple your kid? Because the world is very, very serious about discipling them. I mean, they've, they've got a multi-front effort to get your kid to not just reject conservative principles, not just reject Christianity, but to reject you. The world is trying to condition your child to reject you. They're putting the work in. So are you going to put the work in? And yes, I totally understand. I am a child of the 80s and the 90s, okay? If my parents had been Christians, they would not have 
had to work as hard, right, to resist some of these damaging ideas. So you probably went into this parenting thing thinking, love, shelter, take them to church. That's all we need. And it's not. Because right now, like, maybe you don't feel it as much in a rural area, but it's still there. And what is there? War. We are at war. We're not at war with flesh and blood. But make no mistake, the world, the culture, the lies are at war with your kid. And they will destroy their heart, their soul, their mind, and their body if you let them get their hands on your kid. So you've got to arm your child. That's the bottom line is you cannot send them into this world unarmed. And you arm them with age-appropriate information about the very issues that are the most under attack. And it is a lot of work, but what we tried to do in the book is to say, you don't have to do everything all at once. Here's what you do first. Here's what you focus on next. And then finally, this is what you really want to major on when it comes to high school. And then we say, really, it's not about, okay, now I'm going to tackle this and I'm going to train my kid in this. What you really do is you just bring your kid into what you're already doing. You're probably listening to great podcasts. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, yeah. right now, right? You're already drinking in information that is forming your worldview. What you need to do, step one, actually step one is let your kid watch you do that. Let your kid watch you watching all the things. And then let your kid help you. The next time, especially when they are like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, the next time you're watching all the things, I want you to get your kid and say, come watch this with me. Let's watch this together. And then the first couple times you say, ooh, I'm going to ask this question. What does it mean to have a theology of getting fired? Right. So they watch you type that in. And then the third time you say, help me, help me ask a question. What did you hear that you have a question about? Oh, okay. That's a good question. When do, what does it mean to be fired? Let's ask that question. Okay. So chapter five is actually what we call the slow handoff model. And it's a discipleship model. Like we apply it to handing off the biblical worldview, a, a conservative worldview, but it's actually a tool of discipleship first created by some brilliant guy that's replicating lots of believers across churches in Europe, okay? And that's what we're talking about. It is the same thing that you would do if you are discipling somebody in church. It goes like this. I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. So the main thing that you're going to do when you're starting out is you're going to do it. You are going to read the great books. You're going to listen to the great podcasts. You're going to engage in conversations that are beautiful, but firm, okay? And your kid is going to watch you do those things. And then after a couple of years of watching you read great books and listen to great podcasts and engage in worldview conversations, then you're going to say, help me. Help me engage in this worldview conversation. I'm going to respond to this person that posted this video um, on Twitter, this is what I wrote. Help me. How do you think that I should change that? What do you think I could say that would make this better? Right? So then you do that for a couple of years. And then around the age 10 or 11, if you've been doing and they're watching and doing and they're helping, they're going to say, my teacher gave me the assignment to write a more equitable constitution. And I think that's wrong. Then you say, oh, 
I also think that's wrong. Let me help you. So now they're going to do it, but you're going to help them. Okay. So this is a big load, right? You are passing, you are replicating yourself in your children. It's not supposed to be easy, but it, it does not have to be insurmountable. Like we have broken this down in ways where you can graph them into what you're already doing. We show you what you need to focus on at each stage. Um, and, and you can do it, right? And not only can you do it, but it's either you or the world. Someone's going to disciple your kid. Man, we say that all the time. Like if you're not discipling your kid, don't worry, somebody is. Yes. Someone, someone is discipling your kid and it doesn't, you know, it it may be the youth pastor or the youth leader, or it may be the TikTok, TikTok or it might be the, you know, teacher with blue hair, but somebody's discipling your kid. We hope that, you know, you as the Christian parent are doing it and doing it according to God's word. I want to go to a question that is on YouTube. Um, under the heading of United Next Gen Ministry, it's our wonderful friend, Jen Beidel. Just question for Katie. What would you say to Christian parents who have recently woken up and are playing catch up, so to speak, in worldview training? Have older kids, they have older kids and they feel like they've dropped the ball. Because so much of your, your book is kind of premised on starting early you know, and then laying this foundation and building on it and then building on it again. But what if a parent of a 14-year-old is kind of just now realizing, oh, yeah, worldview training. I should be doing that. I want to get equipped. I want to do yeah. something. Is it too late for them? Or what's the hope for that parent? Yeah, great question. So the three, I would say, wherever you fall in the three main categories, start doing that category. So if they are elementary school and, you know, you're just getting to them at age eight or age 10, you're still in that grammar phase where you're teaching them the good, true, and the beautiful, and you're trying to filter out the distortions of the woke world. Middle school is the logic phase. This is the phase where they are ready to critically think through what they're hearing. And that is the phase where we think that you should introduce them and go hard on socialism and abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism and the 1619 Project and critical race theory and all of that. You are the one that introduces them. You say, you're going to know more about this than all of your friends. Okay. But then in high school, you will notice if you have a high schooler that when you try to teach them basic things or say, honey, do you know what cisgender is? I would love to talk with you about that. They're like, <laughs> again why i love this that developmental window and you want to like come at them like i'm going to teach you right and wrong you know when they're 10th graders they're like get out of my face so you know you have to figure out where you are in that developmental you know framework okay so let's say that your kid's 14 and you haven't necessarily laid the groundwork in terms of the good the true and the beautiful you weren't the first ones to get to them in terms of introducing some of these woke ideas what you're going to do in high school like the main emphasis in high school in our opinion is stay connected like we actually think that if you're following our model you're kind of done with the teaching like you've taught them the rules You've introduced the woke ideology. Now, for the most part, they're in that developmental phase where they're just articulating what they think. And so your job as the parent is to move from teacher to consultant. And you do that by putting a premium on staying connected. So let's say that you've suddenly woken up to, oh my gosh, it's war. I haven't armed my kids, but I know that I need to equip them. So first of all, you arm up. 
you need to figure out some of these areas maybe where you've got to have answers, right? You don't know what cis means, right? You haven't actually looked into the 1619 project and what they're trying to like foist on, you know, the history books and you haven't read stamped or whatever it is. Okay. So you start to become an expert on that and you can actually like cheat and they will, you can start that. I do you watch, I do you help thing. They're going to watch you reading stamped. They're going to watch you reading the hate you give. Right. And they'll be like, Oh, you're reading that? I they they assigned that to me last year. And you're like, well, yeah, I I followed the, this woman at the Center for Biblical Unity and uh, she wrote a book review on it. And I said, well, just put here, look at me reading this book. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so you can still do that. Like as you become an expert on biblical worldview, on conservative principles, they're gonna watch you doing it. They're gonna watch you listening to, you know, the Jordan Peterson podcast or listening to the Ben Shapiro podcast or whatever it is. Um, one thing that I do with my high schoolers, which is such a hack, is I have my AirPods in all the time. And they know that if I'm listening to a podcast and everything I listen to is amazing, like I kind of kind of need an intervention. I, I listen to too much stuff, but it's all incredible. And I'm like a junkie. So my kids know that if I'm in the kitchen cooking or chopping vegetables or cleaning, because I'm always in the kitchen making things for everybody, um, they know that if they walk in, I pull out an AirPod and I stick it in their ear. So they're going to listen to what I'm listening to. And it's great because then I don't have to talk about um, whether or not, you know, the FBI warrant, you know, was constitutional or not. I don't have to introduce like, what are, are we overstepping our powers in terms of like um, the different branches of government? Somebody else is going to do that for them, right? I don't necessarily have to be like, hey, I'm going to share this story with you about a detransitioner. I just happen to be listening to a podcast. I happen to be listening to Ali Beth Stuckey, who's interviewing a woman who went through a full transition, had a hysterectomy, had her double mastectomy, and now desperately regrets it. So you can just become the expert and then let your kids watch you and pull them into what you're already doing, right? Your main job in high school is to stay connected. And if you are becoming an expert on all of these topics, and if you are connected to them, the conversations are going to come. And they're probably going to come in a way that is more welcomed by your high schooler than you saying, hey, let's sit down and have a conversation about this because I think what's happening at your school is absolute garbage, you know? So that's that's my advice. You can get in on this in any of these different kind of developmental stages, but the most important thing is for you to know what you believe and stay connected to your kid. Man, that whole, as soon as you walk into the kitchen, I need to go to your house so I can walk into the kitchen and get in the AirPod. <laughs> hey, kids, all my kids would get would be Tupac. <laughs> I mean, I gotta, I gotta up my game or something. But I used to do that with, with the girls when they were, yeah, I mean, starting from an early age is I'd be listening to a podcast or something. So I, I guess I was already doing that, like, throughout their growing up years because they were a captive audience as I was driving them somewhere. And we have, not, we have a rule that whoever's driving gets to choose what we listen to. This is exactly how I came out of critical theory. Forget the girls. Let's, let's talk about how I came away from critical theory and social justice ideology whenever we would drive somewhere. Apparently she didn't know how to go from point A to point B because now we've been driving for an hour and I'm listening to Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison and well, Vody Bauckham and a whole bunch of other people that I was like, these people are the most whitest people I have ever met in my whole life. And now... And then I would say, they black. And I'm like, what is this? What? Why are we still listening? My ears are bleeding. But yeah, that's exactly how um, I 
there were, the cracks started to form um, outside of our walls. I, I would just say like, hey, I, I got to listen to this. So, you know, I'm learning and you, you can listen to it with me and then just tell me anything you disagree with. It wasn't that I and... couldn't listen to it with you. It was the doors are locked. We're on the freeway. <laughs> Jump if you will. That's what it was. We got a question from Tanya on Facebook. Just um, I'm just going to briefly, we don't have to put it up, um, address it. She says, do you think this book club or for Katie's or, book? Or the book in general. Or the book in general is for grandparents too. When I say already, heck yeah. Heck yes, is um the book club and the book. If you can do the book club, get the book. It is for grandparents too. Yes, so yes. We talk in the last chapter, the Find Your People chapter, about how when 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 we were doing youth ministry, um, there was sort of this idea that it should be one adult for every five kids. Right. right? If it's one adult and they're kind of shepherding five kids, that kid's covered. But the previous youth pastor that we had at our church said, you know, they've actually studied this and it's the reverse. Every kid needs five adults, right? It's not adult for one adult to be covering five kids. Every one kid needs five adults mm-hmm. that know them completely, have a relationship with them, that are faithful to them, they can trust, and that are giving them good information. So if you are blessed to be in a marriage where both parents are communicating, if you're blessed to be in a marriage, and then if you're blessed to be in a marriage where both parents are communicating the same thing, that's amazing. You need three more. Yeah, right? at least three more. Maybe that is a great aunt and uncle. Maybe it's a youth pastor. You know, maybe it's some other mentor. But man, if we've got grandma and grandpa filling two of those other spots, that's gold. Absolute gold. So yeah, you should absolutely be one of the five people in, in your grandkids' life. Yeah, and I I just want to say amen to that. My My mother has been a huge part of our children's lives all growing up and still is. And I think that it's a blessing to me now to see how they are able to interact with older people because of being around my mother and her friends their whole lives. And that they that she has had a profound influence on them. And I think they will only grow it in their appreciation for that as they continue to grow up. All right, Katie, here here's my big issue with your book. Like I loved so much about it. I was in agreement with you about you put so many things into words that I've said over the years, and yours are just more clever than mine. But I, the one thing that I feel like I have not been able to crack the code on um, in the thousands of conversations I've had with parents over the last 25 years is apathy. Is how do you overcome teenage apathy? In the discipleship, because if you have a kid that you have been discipling and you have been trying to bring them along and you have been trying to do all of the right things with them and you just run into the I already know everything barrier that I'm going to say 15 year old girls tend to put up like I think that these strategies can work very well if you're starting early and often and even for some kids late interventions can still work but the one thing that I have struggled with over the years is how to advise parents about apathy issues and how to overcome that and I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that and especially in your time in youth ministry and 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 all of that yeah so we briefly touched on this before we went live, but 
We're raising children. We're not raising robots. And there's nothing that you could say, do this, 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 ding. You're going to get a kid that kind of pops out, like having their worldview totally formed. They're never going to have any doubts. Okay, so every kid is different. And these are principles that you can employ. Um, but there aren't any guarantees in this parenting gig, right? We're, we're coming from a worldview that actually does grant that kids are free agents when it comes to their own relationship, their own choices. So what we're talking about in this book is best practice principles that align with their development um, and the what we think that you should be doing and talking about at different ages. Okay. So first of all, I want to say if you've got a kid that's apathetic and not responding, that's because they're human. And you're going to find some variation within humans, especially within teenagers. But I will also say that I think that a lot of the times, one of the big mistakes that we have made as parents and certainly in the Christian community is sometimes I run reading groups for teenagers about abortion, pornography, um, same-sex attraction, transgenderism, friendship, marriage, and casual sex. Okay. And offer those to middle schoolers sometimes. And obviously it's very age appropriate. It's very scientific. It's based in natural law. Um, there's no, nobody's getting scandalized in terms of like graphic material, but we are very direct with kids. And we often will have parents say, I don't want them to do that in middle school. We will wait until high school. And I'm like, that's your prerogative. But you are not actually, in my opinion, it is too late. If you think that you're going to double down on training, if you think you're going to wait until high school to really tackle these challenging issues, in my opinion, you have missed the window. Because in high school, like I said before, they don't want to be told. Even my wonderful kids that are practically perfect in every way don't love the lecture. And they would prefer to just, and they will tune you out if they need to. Thanks, mom. Okay, dad whatever you say, you've missed the window for, for real serious instruction. And so I think that one of the main tricks for this is getting to them early. And of course, not in ways that violate their innocence, but you have got to really major in those middle school years when they are still largely receptive to you saying, hey, can we study embryology and um, so that we can understand like child development and really refute some of these pro-choice talking points when it comes to abortion. They're a little more receptive to that when they're sixth and seventh grade versus when they're 15 or 16 and they feel like they know everything. So there is no one solution fixes everything. But I will say, if you are under the impression that you are going to wait until they're in high school, they probably already have their mindset somewhat solidified on some of these topics because the world has been messaging to them already in so many different ways. And now, and the world has already told them what you are going to do. The world has already said, hey, be careful. Because when you talk to your parents about this, they're going to say, blah, 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 blah. And now the world has become the authority, right? They got to your kids first and framed how they're going to even view what you're going to say to them. So it's very, very important to tackle this early, to do it with purpose. I know that that sounds scary to some parents, but I will tell you that there is there are several advantages. One of them is like maybe you have more godly children than mine, but my kids like being know-it-alls. My kids like to know more about this topic than all of their friends. My kids like to be able to, they don't necessarily start arguments, but they love to finish them. 
And you actually sort of work with a bit of the, I don't want to say egotism of middle school, but like kids like to be know-it-alls. So make them know-it-alls, right? Do it early. And then as much as possible, downshift a bit in terms of teaching, correction, you know, worldview transmission, downshift in high school and emphasize the relationship. My husband does this better than I do. He, whatever our kids, once they get to high school, he always schedules a weekly breakfast with them, never to correct, well, for the explicit purpose of correction, just to connect. You take your Bibles and he, they eat. He just puts his Bible down and he waits and then they start talking. So, you know, connection is where it needs to be. And I think that the apathy sometimes comes from missing that window and trying to force the conversation when they're like. That's good. That is. Um, and I would echo that of the importance of connection. Um, and when nothing else is working, working, like you said, they're not robots, but when nothing else is working, work on the connection and, you know, give it time. It's not an instantaneous thing, but cumulative things over time really can make a difference. Katie, tell us about um, then for uh, them before us and what your team is doing there and how people can follow your work. Yeah, them before us is a children's rights movement that defends children's rights to their mother and father. Um, so we thank God have hundreds of organizations defending children's right to life. We focus on defending their rights on this side of the womb. And what that means is we look at every marriage and family issue from the perspective of elevating the best interest of the child. So we're giving answers, um, child-centric perspectives on the definition of marriage, divorce, modern families, polygamy, cohabitation, sperm donation, egg donation, surrogacy, adoption. If it has to do with marriage and family, we are going to prioritize the rights and needs of children. And then that is how the argument is going to be framed. So um, I care about two things in the world. Like if, you, if I can boil things down, I would say the things I'm the most passionate about is when it comes to the cultural, legal, and technological changes taking place in the world around marriage and family, my heart is don't touch the kids. Leave the kids alone. And then my other big passion is when it comes to the horrible, damaging, distorted ideas that are in the culture, my other passion is don't touch my kids. Leave my kids alone. So those are kind of the two offerings that I have in terms of the books. Stacy's my co-author on both of them. Um, she is the reason why you're going to laugh at any point in both of those um, tomes because she is the master wordsmith in the relationship. So um, then before us is um, embarking on a very exciting year. We've got a documentary in the works with focus on the family. We've got a church curriculum coming out, helping people understand why God's design for sex and marriage is actually his plan A for child protection. Um, we are we have a corporate benefits package that we're putting together for corporations that want to uphold and protect the rights of children um, instead of violating them in the name of like health benefits. Um, and we've got a legal team that we're putting together to recommend um, child-centric policy around the country. So we have our hands in a lot of different things in the coming year, and it's very exciting. That's awesome. Man, Katie, thank you so much for being with us and for educating us and 
helping us to think about how we can raise our kids. For me, raise my net. I only have nephews, so my nephew that I can speak into their lives and get them thinking about conservatism, even in the midst of living in LA. And once again, we're talking about Katie's book, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. If you want to check it out, also, if you want to read it with a group and discuss it together, come check out our virtual book clubs at centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash book clubs. And you can also check out our other book clubs that are there. They will be starting on Monday, the 15th. And uh, Jen Vidal, who's been on the stream tonight moderating the chat, will be the leader. And I think it will be a great and encouraging book for all of you. Yes. Thank you, Katie, so much. Thank you. You're welcome. I bet we could get Stacy into that uh, virtual book club if you need, like, a, if you need at the very end for her to, like, drop in. Ooh. I'm that could, Q&A. Yeah, that, that would be work. That could be good. Yeah, it's the work. Thanks, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Talk with you later. Bye-bye. Wow. That was a long interview, but I felt like there was just so much to unpack there and... So I just kind of let it keep going. Yeah, it was. And I, I loved it. Oh, my gosh. I I just I love talking to her anyway. So I am very biased in, in the conversation. I can I just talk to her. Buddy. I can talk to her for a long time. <laughs> um, but just the, the information is so helpful, too. And, you know, helping people to think about it a certain way. So sorry, I went a little long, people. Listen to part A and part B if you're listening to the podcast. Yeah. But make sure to um, hit the thumbs up. Make sure to make a comment. Even if you're watching it on the replay, just make some kind of comment. It will continue to help keep the stream alive and help push it out. Thank you so much for watching. Next week, we've got a great show for you on Just War Theory. Just War Theory. Uh, Dr. Eric Patterson, who's the president of Religious Freedom Institute, is coming on to talk to us about a Christian view of war. It's a very timely topic, given the events of what's happening in Israel and uh, all of the calls for ceasefire and all the conversations about justice and proportionality of what Israel's doing in Gaza. And so we want to help you get grounded in the Christian worldview when it comes to thinking about war. So you will not want to miss next week's show. All right, with that, good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week. Next week.